This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Humans eat meat more often and in greater quantities than any other primate. Um, and as we've already heard today twice, uh, meat consumption is seen by many as one of the defining features of our species. Uh, and it's been linked to the evolution of our large brains, bipedal locomotion, pair bonding, and other distinctly human traits. So therefore, it's critically important to understand what caused this dramatic dietary shift. So to understand how and why meat-eating became so prevalent in our lineage, we need to know something about the ancestral state. In other words, we need to make inferences about the behavior of the last common ancestor of humans and our closest living relatives. So I'm talking about this creature here um, that lived in Africa four to eight million years ago. So as our closest living relatives, uh, and as specifically as large-bodied, primarily fruit-eating apes, chimpanzees and bonobos provide clues about the behavior of this last common ancestor. Of course, they are not exact replicas or models of the last common ancestor. Instead, they help us to understand the ecological pressures that this animal faced, um, and in turn can help us understand what changed in our lineage, and why. Both chimpanzees and bonobos eat meat, uh, but chimpanzees do so more often, so we know more about the factors that affect their hunting frequency. So that's why I'm discussing chimpanzees today. A little bit of background on chimpanzee biology. Chimpanzee diet is dominated by ripe fruit. Um, Figs, like these here, are particularly important. Um, And the abundance and distribution of ripe fruit in chimp habitat affects grouping and travel patterns of the chimpanzees, which, as we will see, um, also affect hunting behavior. In addition to a largely fruit-based diet, chimpanzees also eat leaves, specifically young leaves, which are easier to digest and extract protein from. Um, The flowers and stems as well as invertebrates like termites and ants. And at some sites, they use tools to do so. So here's a chimpanzee at Gombe using a long blade of grass to extract termites from a termite mound. So it should come as no surprise to this audience now that chimpanzees also eat meat. But compared to humans, they do do so relatively rarely. So this is a, and it's actually really surprising um, to, see, to find that there are relatively few published data on the proportion of diet um, spent eating meat. Um, so this is just a quick and dirty breakdown of diet from Gombe National Park, which is where I work. Um, and, you, and as you can see, the time spent feeding is dominated by ripe fruit and leaves, and meat makes up about uh, 4.3% of feeding time. Insects are about 3.2%. Um, compared to Kanyuara, which is Richard Rangham's site, um, there they eat meat. They spend less than one percent of their feeding time uh, eating meat. And at Mahali, where they estimated it in terms of grams per day, it's only about forty-five grams. So very, very different to what we see among humans. 
So by far, the most important prey species for chimpanzees is the red colobus monkey. These guys weigh from 8 to 10 kilograms, um, although at some sites the chimps target the young, the infants, and the juveniles, which are obviously much smaller. Red colobus are arboreal. They live in trees. Uh, they rarely come down to the ground. Um, and they live in large groups, 50 or so individuals, and they fiercely defend themselves against the chimpanzee hunters. So when I say that they're the most important prey species, you can, you can see why. So here are five major chimpanzee long-term research sites. And at all sites where red colobus and chimpanzees coexist, um, red colobus are the most frequent prey species. So you can see here at Mahali, Thai, Gombe, and Kanyuara, it's about 80% of the prey taken are red colobus monkeys. And at Ngogo, at least until recently, 90% of the prey were red colobus. But this has changed in recent years because the chimpanzees have decimated the red colobus population, which we may hear about later from David Watts. So which species make up the other category, the little gray bars at the top on that last graph? Well, um, to some extent, other arboreal monkeys, so from left to right, uh, red-tailed guenons, black and white colobus monkeys, and blue monkeys. Um, and then also they prey up spa- upon small ungulates, infant bush pigs at the bottom left, um, bushbuck fawns, uh, adult dikers, which are small forest antelopes, and then small animals that hide in tree holes, like this galago here, and nestlings, and so on. So hunts of the latter, uh, particularly the bottom row here, um, don't really involve pursuit in the same way that hunts of arboreal monkeys do. They're much more, much more of a quick grab as the uh, chimps come across them as they're foraging. Now, hunting frequency varies considerably within and between sites, ranging from um, as few as two kills per year uh, in Budongo Forest in Uganda to as many as 136 per year at Ngogo, also in Uganda. So this variation gives us the opportunity to study the ecological factors that affect hunting decisions. So clearly, um, much of it, uh, much of this variation is going to be driven by what prey species are available in the habitat. So as we saw, red colobus monkeys dominate the prey profiles um, at the sites where they're present. So if they're not available, we're going to see lower rates of hunting overall, obviously. Um, so we can see here at Fongoli and Budongo, there are no red colobus monkeys, and their uh, number of prey per, per year, killed per year, are quite low. However, we see also there's considerable variation in the sites where red colobus are present. Um, so there is additional variation that's not explained by the presence of red colobus monkeys. So it's not just going to be the presence of a particular species that's important. It's also going to be important um, how dense the uh, population is, how many there are in the habitat. So, And this is a particular challenge that we face, particularly when it comes to the uh, cryptic prey. 
So, for example, these galagos are they're small, solitary, nocturnal primates that are they're active at night and they nest in tree cavities during the day. Really hard to get a good sense of how many there are in the habitat. So we're going to hear, hear in Jill Preetz's talk later today that these galagos are eaten relatively frequently at Fongoli. But this may simply be because um, relative to other sites, perhaps they're more common there than they are elsewhere. There's also considerable variation um, within sites as well. So I'll use Kibali National Park as an example here. Um, Diker, the small forest antelope, are frequently seen uh, at Ngogo, um, but only rarely seen at Kanyuara, which is a chimpanzee community in the same exact forest. So it's really challenging to do so, but I think we really need to have some systematic comparison of prey density both within and between study sites to fully understand prey choice. So with that in mind, um, what other factors are going to affect hunting frequency? So as a behavioral, behavioral ecologist, I think in terms of the costs and the benefits of hunting. The main costs are energy, especially when hunting arboreal monkeys because it takes a lot of effort to climb trees quickly and chase the monkeys. Time is important. Mean hunt duration at Gombe, uh, Craig Stanford found, is about 28 minutes, so there's opportunity cost. And then also injury uh, from falling or from being attacked by um, prey who clearly don't want to be eaten. The benefits, as we heard about from Alyssa, are, are clearer. Um, their meat is always going to be beneficial. Uh, meat is a concentrated source of easily accessible macro and micronutrients. Um, however, for chimps, it does. It's, it's would be. It's. It seems unlikely that meat is essential to their diet given that some communities rarely hunt, and even among communities that do hunt frequently, there are some individuals who rarely get meat. So they have other alternatives, presumably the insect diet that they have to get some of these nutrients, although it's just less efficient than when from getting it from meat. So therefore, we expect chimpanzees to take advantage of low-cost opportunities to get meat. They can afford to be picky because they don't require it to survive, but when they can get it, they'll take advantage of those low-cost opportunities. So um, I'm proposing that variation in factors that affect hunting costs should affect hunting frequency. So what evidence do we have that chimpanzees are especially sensitive to the costs of hunting? First, theory predicts that females should be more risk-averse than males. Female reproductive success is more closely tied to their body condition compared to males whose reproductive success is uh, determined by the number of females that they, can, that they mate with. So the costs of wasted effort, wasted effort on failed hunting, should be greater for females than for males. So this predicts, then, that females should specialize in prey that are less costly to capture. So indeed, at Gombe, um, females capture over 60%. You can see in the gray bar on the right-hand side, 60% of the sedentary passive prey items, like fledglings and uh, bushbuck fawns, things that don't fight back and don't run away, compared to only about 10% of the arboreal monkeys, which require a lot of effort to capture, um, and they fight back. 
In between, we have terrestrial aggressive prey like bushbuck piglets who it doesn't involve uh, climbing through the trees, but they have very, very angry moms who are, you do not want to mess with. Okay, so at Gombe, females specialize in these in sedentary, non-threatening prey. Females do, as we saw, sometimes hunt red colobus, but when they're present at a hunt that's already in, in progress, they are less likely than males to participate. Um, so this, again, suggests that they're particularly sensitive to the costs of hunting. Also, um, there is less incentive for females to hunt because when they are successful, most often a male just comes and takes it away. So instead, females are more likely to sit and watch from below and then beg for meat from successful male hunters. At all sites, um, upon encountering red colobus troop, um, a hunt is more likely to occur if there are many adult male chimpanzees present in a party. The chimps have a, what we call a fission-fusion social system. So if you think of that oval as one social group's range, the entire social group are never all together at once. Instead, they're in fluid, they form fluid subgroups that change in size and composition in relation to food and um, female availability. So... When I talk about the number of male chimpanzees, I'm talking about the number of male chimpanzees in one of those subgroups. And as I said, the likelihood of a hunt occurring upon encountering red colobus monkeys um, is proportional to the number of males present in that party. So there is some debate about why this is. It could be that when there are more males there, there are more opportunities to collaborate um, and to, to coordinate one's actions. Uh, however, as my colleagues and I have argued, um, we think there's a simpler, simpler alternative that group hunting simply arises as the cumulative effect of independent actions. The more hunters there are, uh, the easier it is for one individual to make a kill. Either way, hunting costs are lower as more individuals hunt. So large communities are certainly going to have, they're more likely to form these large hunting parties, contributing to the overall hunting frequency. So remember this chart that I showed earlier with variation in hunting frequency um, within sites where red colobus are present. So some of this variation is almost, is, is certainly going to be due to community size. So over the years when these data were collected, there were 150 to 200 chimpanzees in the Ngogo community, while Gombe, Mahali, and Kanyuara were all around around 50. Okay. So it certainly seems as though um, the, the large population size at, Gom at, at Ngogo had a, um, an important effect on hunting frequency. Another factor is variation in forest structure. So this is a high-res satellite image of part of Gombe. And you can see, just by looking, that there, the density and continuity of the forest canopy varies considerably within the range of a single chimpanzee community. So we look in the, in the valleys, we see evergreen forest, which looks like this. It's a con continuous canopy, tall trees. It's really costly for an individual to hunt. Lots of energy is going to be spent climbing and chasing. It's easier for monkeys to escape, so hunts might take longer and be less likely to succeed. On the ridges, we see woodland habitat, um, which are characterized by short trees that are widely spaced, so it's easy to trap monkeys in one single tree. 
less energy spent catching them. And as we uh, expect from that, we see that forest structure does indeed have an effect on both the probability of hunting um, in, of hunting in the, the darker maroon bars, both at Ngogo and at Gombe, um, and also affects the probability that a hunt succeeds as well. Finally, overall diet quality affects whether or not chimpanzees will take on the risk of hunting. So, for example, Richard and I showed at Kanyuara that hunting is more frequent during periods when overall high-quality fruit is available. And this result here isn't just because uh, high-quality fruit enables the, um, the formation of large parties, as it does at Gombe and, and, and Ngogo, but once you take that into account, we found that um, the probability of a hunt occurring was simply higher after controlling for group size um, it, during times when there was high-quality fruit available. So a party of six males, you can see there, um, hunts twice as often as a party... A, a party of six males in high-quality fruit seasons hunts twice as often as a party of six males in low-quality fruit seasons. We've argued that this is because the costs of a failed hunt are lower when there is high-quality food to fall back on. So to conclude, there is considerable variation in hunting frequency within and between sites. And this is because hunting frequency is affected by many ecological factors, um, having to do with the prey, having to do with the, the, um, the predators, and the ecology of the site. So if we agree that it's logical to conclude that the last common ancestor was faced with, sim with similar ecological pressures and would therefore have exhibited similar patterns, how then do we explain the increase in hunting in the hominin lineage? So I suggest that the first step might have been an increase in low-cost opportunities to capture prey, which could likely come as a combination of many factors, but I, I would argue that certainly prey availability and uh, habitat were key factors. Thank you very much. Um, there actually are no chimpanzees in this image, but I wanted to start with it to remind you, as both of our, our previous speakers very nicely and eloquently um, told you, humans are hyper-cooperative. And um, in addition to the many ways in which we depend on cooperation, including for the construction of auditoriums like this, um, we also have what I think is compelling evidence for an increase in meat consumption from the paleoarchaeological records starting by about two million years ago at, for example, this site of Kanjera South or uh, several sites in Kanjera in, in western Kenya um, where there's good evidence for hunting of small to medium-sized antelope at about two million years, and then later at Olduvai and other sites in East Africa, further evidence for an increase in meat consumption, including um, that image in the upper right there of a recreation of presumably Homo erectus, um, butchering a very large animal, in that case probably scavenged, not hunted, but, um, and then we have chimpanzees. And chimpanzees are, along with bonobos, the closest living relatives of humans, 
and they eat more meat than any other non-human primates. So humans eat the most meat of all primates, but chimpanzees are a sec are second by quite a distance. Um, and when they hunt and succeed, when they have meat, another resemblance to humans is that they typically engage in meat transfers. And I use that term rather than they share meat or food sharing because um, we might want to reserve sharing for peaceful exchanges of meat, but meat is not always... Individuals who don't have meat don't always get it peacefully. Um, there, are, this, this is, there are various um, categorizations of food transfers, and this is most of one that Andreas Yegi and Karl von Schaik used a few years ago, in which they distinguished, first of all, forced transfers that involve aggression, so meat theft um, or prey theft, and then um, a transfer that happens, but it happens passively, which is to say that someone possesses meat and someone else takes some of it peacefully or maybe with some uh, minor aggression and resistance um, and some degree of tolerance, varying degrees of tolerance by the possessor. Um, and then there's what they called reactive transfers, that is someone possesses some meat and um, someone else requests or begs for meat and the possessor then makes it available by something like that. And then there's really true proactive sharing where um, someone has some meat and of its own accord offers it to, uh, to another individual. And um, here you see a sequence of um, an attempt at getting a passive transfer. Um, this is an adult male chimpanzee at Ngogo who is in possession of about half an adult female red colobus monkey. And this is an adolescent male who is hoping to get some of that meat and very patiently sitting there like this, afraid actually to try to touch it. Um, um, he did get meat eventually, and in fact, um, eventually the adult male handed him a piece of meat. Um, just to, com to complicate matters slightly, uh, to simplify matters slightly, I'm just going to talk about active and passive sharing. So active sharing or act active um, transfers, um, the possessor actually offers meat to someone else, and passive transfers, someone has meat and allows someone else to take some. Uh, but then I'll complicate things slightly by talking also about what I call co-feeding, where someone clearly controls some meat. In this case, that male controls half a blue monkey. Um, here, this male controls an adult female red colobus monkey. And there, that male controls this yearling red diker. And as long as they have firm control, they are comfortable letting others take what they want. Um, so make contact with the carcass or with the, the meat package, even feed from it directly or tear pieces off, um, so long as they don't try to take the entire thing. Um, there have been a number, I, sh I should say first of all that when it does come to the question of why do chimpanzees hunt, I think as Ian explained, um, they hunt because meat is good food. But because meat is nutritionally so valuable, that then opens possibilities for meat to take on social importance. It may be that 
actually transfers don't have great social importance, even though they involve social interaction, um, because what's going on is that someone, again, has meat, they are trying to eat it, and someone else is trying to get some of it and harassing them, and they can, the, the possessor can improve usually his foraging efficiency, his ability to use the meat, by simply giving in to the pressure and allowing someone else to take some of it. Um, also, um, there are diminishing returns to someone who has acquired the meat and perhaps has a large amount of it um, and has already been feeding on it for a while when someone else comes along and asks for some of it. It's also possible, though, that meat assumes an important role via exchanges, either meat for meat, so if one chimp has meat now, today, and allows someone else to have some or even give some to that other individual, then in return, again, usually he will be able to get meat in the future when they don't have some and the the recipient does. Um, and it's also possible that they exchange meat for other things, notably grooming um, between males especially, and also uh, coalitionary support between males. And then there is this idea that males could exchange meat for matings with females. And in that case, transfers are, to some extent, actually contingent. Um, they're made selectively to certain partners and then received in return selectively from certain partners. These are not mutually exclusive possibilities. And in fact, from based on what I see in GoGo, I would say that sometimes... Individuals get meat by harassing whoever has it, um, and the, the chimpanzee being harassed might try to avoid the, the beggar, um, but eventually just gives in, allows them to have some meat. Um, but um, that does not rule out the possibility that they also use meat strategically as a kind of social tool. Um, clearly, the recipients of meat get nutritional benefits from obtaining it, um, the question here is, do the donors benefit from allowing others to have some of the meat? And if it's a question of tolerated theft or harassment, the benefit might, again, simply be that um, I have some meat, and by allowing someone else to take it, I can now utilize what I have more efficiently because I don't have to deal with the harassment and possibly the risk that if I don't allow them to, to have it, um, they'll try to steal all of it. Um, when it comes to possible social benefits, again, um, there are various possibilities. Reciprocity in meat transfers. So, um, one so pairs of individuals um, showing some balance in how often each can get meat from the other when the other has meat. Also, um, Male chimpanzees resemble humans in that males and, and differ from almost all other mammals in that males form very strong social bonds with each other, and they depend on each other. They, they cooperate in various ways. They also spend extended periods of time grooming with each other, and grooming provides hygienic benefits. It also can provide other health-related benefits via its calming effects. 
In addition, um, males sometimes form coalitions with each other to back each other up in contests with third parties. And when they do that often enough and reciprocally, we call them allies. Um, so here, for example, you see two former alpha males at Ngogo who were each other's allies for a long period of time. Initially, he backed him up when he was alpha male, and then when things had switched, he way up backed up Bartok, who had replaced him um, with one intervening male as alpha male. Um, so males need social partners in contexts other than hunts or meat-sharing opportunities. And um, they need partners for grooming. They need or certainly can benefit from having partners for coalitionary support. And all the males of a given community are allies with each other against outsiders. And relations between neighboring chimpanzee communities are intensely hostile, which is a topic for another talk. Not all partners, um, not all potential partners, are equally valuable. And we could expect that male chimpanzee psychology has been subject to selection for tolerance generally, at least towards familiar male chimpanzees, and for higher tolerance towards valuable partners. And that would then provide a basis for selectively transferring meat to valuable partners. It might sound a little strange to talk about male chimpanzees as being tolerant, but again, compared to males in other mammals other than humans, um, they are. Um, and this is an intriguing um, indication that desperately needs replication, um, that there is something going on socially. A paper by Roman Wittig and colleagues that came out a few years ago in which they managed to get a small number of urine samples following meat transfer events, and they did assays for oxytocin, um, which is a hormone that is arguably involved in social bonding, in reducing fear, in and potentially promoting cooperation in various ways. And they found that um, oxytocin levels were higher after meat transfers than in other contexts, including even when individuals had been grooming with each other or than when they had been feeding socially, that is, in a group with other chimps, but no transfers of food. And the, the authors here proposed that sharing of food, and this was not just meat. In fact, they had few cases of meat transfers, which is one reason why this needs replication. But they proposed that sharing food um, is, can provide a basis for cooperation. Alternatively, but um, not mutually exclusively, it could be that we find that close social partners get food from each other relatively often, but it's just because they're more comfortable with each other, so um, someone is more likely to approach a meat possessor if he already is a close social partner, and then via harassing the partner or tolerated theft, get some meat from them. If that's the case, though, we wouldn't expect to see variation in begging success as a function of partner value, nor would we expect similar variation in active sharing or in the amount of meat that beggars inquire. So I'm going to take us now to Ngogo for a while. Ngogo is one of several research sites in Kibale National Park in western Uganda, at three of which there are chimpanzee research projects. And in 
Kibale National Park, there are seven species of diurnal primates, not all of them shown here, um, and also small forest antelope like red diker. All of the animals in this image are prey for chimpanzees, but as Ian told you, mostly they prey on red colobus monkeys. And this is results of about 2,800-some bouts of begging. That is, one individual trying to get meat from someone else, and in most cases actually succeeding, in the great majority of cases, although there's some interesting variation. For example, females are less likely to get meat from males, who are the major possessors, than other males are to get meat from them. And sometimes a um, transfer is made because someone steals meat from someone else, so theft. Um, what stands, and, and in most cases, it's passive transfer, so that's what's been reported for other chimpanzee sites. But one thing that stands out here is that quite a few of the transfers are active. That is, someone, else, someone offers meat to someone else, and they could choose not to do that. And when I looked at the results of all the attempts to get meat and then put that together with data for a given study period on how much grooming the possessor got from whoever was begging for meat, it turned out that um, the likelihood of getting meat went up as the amount of grooming that the possessor was receiving from, not at the moment, but in general from the beggar went up. So more likely to transfer meat to main grooming partners um, than to other males. And this doesn't look so dramatic, but I'll make a more dramatic point in a moment. Um, males are also more likely to allow their allies to have meat than they are males who are not currently their allies. Importantly, they're more likely to give their allies meat than they are to give other males meat. Um, so this is the big difference here. Active sharing, um, much more common between males who are allies of each other than between males who aren't. Also, um, males who groom meat possessors a lot are more likely to get large shares of meat from them. And a large share this is kind of a funny, uh, fuzzy definition, but a small share would be a small piece of a, of a carcass and maybe just a small scrap of meat. A large share would be something like an entire limb or half an adult female red colobus monkey. Um, and actually, transfer of large shares is quite common at Ngogo. Again, they go more often to top grooming partners than to other males who are not top grooming partners. And um, they particularly go to allies. So again, this difference here, um, fairly close to half of the bouts with transfers um, between allies involved one male getting a large share of meat from the other. Um, and it's a considerable amount in um, other bouts also, but not so common between males who are not allies. Back to females, and there's a lot more to be said about females. I'll just briefly cover this one hypothesis, which has been called, for better or worse, meat for sex. Um, and um, I don't have time to go into the details of the chimpanzee 
mating system here. It's quite complicated, um, but most mating takes place in situations where a female is sexually receptive and is with multiple males and has an opportunity to mate with all or most or all of them. And it doesn't make any difference whether a female is sexually receptive when it comes to the odds that she gets meat from males. Um, this is new data from Ngogo, but it, it substantiates what we've, we've already said about Ngogo and what Ian and colleagues have said about Gombe. Um, so um, just to tie together a few things here, um, that, I think, makes it clear that data from chimpanzees don't support arguments that meat provisioning formed part of hominin male mating strategies prior to substantial increases in hunting and meat consumption and real dependence on meat consumption um, for subsistence. More importantly, though, I think that chimpanzee hunting and meat sharing, despite all of the differences from humans, some of which, again, we heard about earlier today, um, do tell us and probably have something important to tell us about the psychology of tolerance and cooperation that underlies obligatory hyper-cooperation in humans. So, thank you. I, uh, I do study chimpanzees in a savanna, and I'd like to tell you a little bit more about that site because it does have a lot of um, importance as far as the, the chimpanzees' hunting behavior goes. And this map I will show you most of the long-term chimpanzee study sites um, operating today, not all of them, but these sites, um, most of them here, have been ongoing for at least 10 years, and in some cases, in the case of Gambia Mahali, uh, more than 50 years. And so uh, most of you are probably familiar with Jane Goodall and at least um, the person, but uh, Gombe is the site that she helped establish that Ian talked about. I'm um, across the continent, and I'm over in West Africa. This is my site, the Fongoli uh, study site. And I chose this site because it is in a savanna, and we think that um, our lineage, uh, evolutionarily speaking, evolved in this type of, of habitat. And so I'll show you some images from the site. My, my underlying questions have to do with um, how these chimpanzees differ from chimpanzees living in forests, like the chimps we've heard about before at Ngogo and Ngambi. And I uh, will cite Jim Moore here. He's written a lot about using chimpanzees as what we call a referential model, and that is comparing them to chimpanzees living in a forested site. And the assumption is that the environment will have effects on their behavior. And I, I did think this going in. I had ideas about what the differences might be. And the chimps kind of went their own way and showed me a lot more differences, including hunting. And so I'll talk to you about that today. So the, I'm going to talk about three main questions, and I focus on the types of hunting or aspects of the Fongoli chimpanzees hunting that you don't necessarily see at other sites or that are very rare. And so one of the things that we see here commonly is that chimpanzees hunt with tools, and that's something that we use to define our own species. It has been seen um, literally a handful of times at another site in Tanzania, but at Fongoli, chimpanzees do this um, quite, quite frequently, so we've seen hundreds of cases now, and I'll talk to you more about that. Um, so one of the questions that I'll, I'll, I'll touch on is why, why hunt with tools in this particular habitat? Something else that is not really common at other chimpanzee sites is that, in fact, in 
regarding this particular type of hunting, females are, are more frequently going to be those hunting with tools compared to males. And as we heard, that's just not the case um, at most other chimpanzee study sites, so I'll talk more about that. And then to follow up um, with, with David's talk, I will talk about meat sharing, or I use the word sharing, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about how I define that, but I'll specifically talk about how females dole out meat. And then finally, I'll come back to this idea about um, using chimpanzees as a model and what perhaps the Fongoli chimpanzees that I study can help us um, say or think about in terms of the evolution of early hominin or bipedal ape hunting. So these are some images from my study site. The Fongoli uh, study site is one of the hottest, driest, and most vegetatively open sites that you see today where chimpanzees have actually been habituated to a human presence. So this took us quite a long time. It took us four years. I started in 2001, and we habituated males to our presence by 2005, but I wasn't able to identify all the chimpanzees in the group until 2006. That's when we identified all the females. This is a view of my pretty fancy camp there. And uh, hopefully that gives you some idea of the vegetation. So it's a woodland savanna. The dominant understory is grass, um, thus savanna. But you do have um, a large proportion of the habitat as woodland. So over half of the habitat is woodland. And only a very small portion is forest. About 3% of the habitat is forest. And this is where you find your water sources. This is really the chimpanzee's most limiting resource at Fongolia is water. Temperatures are incredibly hot, really hot for me, even hot for chimps. So right now we're, um, the well, yeah, the month, month of March in Senegal is almost approaching the peak of the dry season. So temperatures are regularly over 100 degrees. They may get up to 115 or so. During the rainy season, or at least at the beginning of the rainy season, you find some relief because the trees will put out leaves again. They lose all their trees during the dry season. But yet you have this lag, you have hot temperatures, and then you have this high humidity, which is really fun. And so literally <laughs> the heat index in June is around 120, 125. And that's when I take students out. <laughs> So a little bit about the Fongoli study group. Um, within this particular habitat, they have a very large home range, 110 kilometers, which is one of the largest, if not the largest, um, so far described. The community size is relatively small. It's not the smallest chimpanzee community studied, but it's on the small size, around 35 chimps. And importantly, we have a sex ratio that is sort of the opposite um, of what you see at other sites. So we have more males than females. That's usually not the case. And um, the data that I'm going to talk about today stem from 2005 to, through 2017. One other thing I'll say about um, adult males versus adult females is because of the fact that when I first got to Fongolia, I heard that even though chimpanzees are not eaten at the site, and this is not within a national park, this is outside of a national park, so you do have villages in the area, um, anthropogenic or human disturbance accounts for about 5% of the habitat. You do have chimpanzees living alongside people. They're not habituated to them. They're habituated to us, so we're okay, but other people are not. But in rare cases, you do have people that will try to hunt a chimpanzee in order to get a female's infant for the pet trade. And we had that happen one time in 17 years. And because of that, I focus on adult males as my focal subjects. 
The Fongoli community is often together as one large group, so I can collect data on females, but they are more timid when they're by themselves, and I don't try to try to follow them when they're by themselves. So I think I, lo- I know a lot about what is going on with males, and I know some about what is going on with females, but perhaps not as much. So this pie chart gives you an idea of the prey species consumed by Fongoli chimpanzees, both by males and by females. And um, as Ian pointed out, there are no colobus monkeys in this particular habitat. So it is a savanna woodland habitat. Colobus monkeys don't occur here. Um, forest guenons like red-tailed monkeys or other colobus monkeys, blue monkeys, do not occur here. Instead, you have savanna species like baboons, patus monkeys, vervets, um, you have mongooses, bush bucks, things like this. And then on the very lower right, you see that adorable little bush baby, and Ian introduced uh, the galago as well. The galago is actually the main prey species of Fungoli chimpanzees, both males and females. And this is the animal that they hunt with tools, and I'll actually hopefully show you some video of that and talk more about that. So the prey profile, if you want to call it that, really reflects the savanna type of habitat. And it does also support, as um, Ian pointed out, um, or talked about what is called a risk-averse strategy. So I'm just going to show you some video and, and try to narrate it here. So this is tool-assisted hunting. Uh, what this image is going to show you is an adult female. That's, if you can't tell, that's Farafa. She's an older female. We estimate her age to be around 40. She's one of the top female hunters in the group. So she's trying to get at these adorable little bush babies that try to sleep in cavities during the day until this rude chimpanzee comes with the tool. That's an adult male. That's Jumpkin. And he goes about it a little bit differently. And so even though females hunt with tools more than expected, um, I'll talk a little bit more about that next, males do exhibit this type of hunting behavior as well. (laughs) I have to say he's usually better than that. (laughs) They just caught him on a bad day. We'll we'll let Jumpkin try one more time. (laughs) If you didn't guess, he wasn't successful in this particular bout. Um, So we're looking at a lot of different aspects of this. Uh, I, I almost feel bad showing that. Um, we're looking at a lot of different aspects of this particular behavior. And so um, this is a juvenile female, Vivienne. That was her mother that was hunting. And um, the juveniles start this behavior when they're about two years of age, when they're still infants and nursing. But they don't learn really the proper um, you know, tool length and that sort of thing until they get to be about four. So she gets a little frustrated too. <laughs> All right. Enough, enough fun, I guess. So in terms of our results so far, um, I apologize because in your abstract I put over 500. I was sure that we would hit the 500 mark this year, 499. I just can't believe it. (laughs) 
But we have 499 hunting records. Those aren't all successes, and that's including adults and immatures. We've only seen adolescent and adult individuals successful in this type of hunting behavior. Um, Like I said, infants begin to exhibit it, and they do really good as far as making the tool, but they don't make a proper tool until they get to be uh, a juvenile. So we see about 32 hunts per year on average when you take into account that there are some days that we can't be there, the river's too high, or someone's sick. Um, we We think that they probably hunt at least 50 times a year. And again, our most recent analyses suggest that females do hunt significantly more than expected with tools, even though males also hunt. And we um, did analyses taking into account not only their membership in the the community as a whole, but also their membership in so-called hunting parties or parties that the chimpanzees are in on those days. So I want to talk a little bit more about just... um, the hunters themselves, and this is uh, a lot of color there, but I wanted to show you the, the top 10 hunters at Fungoli and also the different types of foods or prey that they hunt. And so um, you have two females that are actually among the top 10 hunters at Fungoli. Interestingly, I think is that both of those females, females are very high ranking. So Tumbo there is currently our alpha female based on these very stylized pant grunt records, uh, sorry, um, vocalizations. And we keep records of these vocalizations where a subordinate individual will pant grunt to a dominant individual. And Tumbo actually overtook that alpha position from Farafa there about two years ago. And so females actually do hunt some in this community, or at least enough to be considered among the top 10 Fungoli hunters. And also, I'd like to point out that we have a tie right now for the very top hunter, and one is the alpha male. That's David. He is um, tied for the top hunting position with Sibrut. And um, some of you will be happy to know that Sibrut, who is pictured there, is not only the oldest hunter in the group, he's the oldest male, but he's also the lowest ranking male as well. Um, and then if you look at female hunting behavior in general, females, um, almost all females hunt, and almost all males hunt as well. So they hunt about what you would expect, or at least their participation in hunting overall is what you would expect based on their, their membership in a in the Fungoli community. I wanted to look, uh, talk a little bit about Fungoli hunting um, and, and uh, the context of female hunting across study sites. So Ian talked about that some, and I've used data from his, his work and others to look at Fungoli female hunting. And in fact, um, there are females elsewhere that also engage in quite a bit of hunting. In fact, females at Mahali hunt a little more than females at Fungoli. If you look at Fungoli female hunting behavior overall. And then with you, when you look at tool use, you see that Fungoli females do hunt uh, quite a bit almost half of the tool-assisted hunting at Fungoli is by females. And again, remember that we have um, fewer females at Fungoli. We don't follow females systematically like we do males. And so one question as to why females hunt is basically, as David started out with, it, um, you know, it's probably no surprise that, that chimps um, gain a lot of nutrition from hunting. But I think perhaps a more interesting question is why females don't hunt more at other sites. And Ian uh, talked about some of these issues as well that I'll, I'll pursue right now. And so if you looked at, for example, theft... 
Um, there's not a lot of theft at Fungoli. So when I use the word share, I'm referring to basically the, the last three categories I think that David talked about. So active food transfer, but not theft, right? And passive food transfer, et cetera. So I consider theft to be a different category. And at Fungoli, we have very little theft. The only theft we've seen involves uh, two different alpha males. So very little theft. Whereas at other sites, you do have quite a bit of theft. And so I believe, as Ian said, um, females don't have incentive to hunt at some sites. At Fungoli, there definitely is incentive. And not only females, but this is a little video of, again, that lower ranking male. So out of 13 males, he's number 13. He's the oldest male. That's Sibirut. So he's walking by um, a number of adult males with this bushbuck fawn that he's captured. And no one makes any attempt to take it from him. He had actually been eating on that fawn for over an hour. And he had a number of individuals sitting around basically begging. He didn't share with them. And as he moves off, you'll see that there's another older male that will follow him. And this is his ally bandit. Where's Bandit? There he is, calmly following his buddy Sibrut out. And so he, he did end up sharing with Bandit. So not only do you see um, some sort of concept of, well, I hate to say concept of ownership, but you see tolerance. So tolerance of possession of prey um, by dominant males of these low-ranking individuals, females, and also lower-ranking males. So I think that at Fungoli, you actually have the incentive to hunt. It's one of the reasons that you see hunt, so much hunting, um, at least tool-assisted hunting, in females. I want to show it a, a slightly different way. So these are those same top 10 hunters, but rather than being expressed in the number of prey that they brought in, this is the number of kilograms or estimated kilograms of meat, right? And so you see that David has jumped up to number one position there. It depends on what you hunt. And almost everybody hunts bush babies except KL. We've never seen him capture a bush baby. But what's interesting is you see that the third top uh, hunter there, at least in terms of prey captures, Lupin has fallen quite low because he does seem to specialize on bush babies. So the Females really didn't change positions at all. They're still in the top 10, but you do see a lot of variation. So that's something that we're looking at now. And so I wanted to talk just a little bit about um, what females can provide in terms of transfer or sharing. And we, so far, this is um, still preliminary to some degree. We've looked at sharing or food transfer by females. And again, I'm considering David's categories of active transfer, passive transfer, and scrounging, but tolerated scrounging. And I'm not considering theft in this category. Females actually shared with other individuals uh, more often than they did with their offspring. So that's something that we're uh, exploring right now. And basically, um, I would argue that females, as uh, Rebecca has pointed out, should be considered as well. And finally, I'll just move on to my last slide and um, leave you with a couple of thoughts. First of all, I think Travis Pickering said it probably better than, than I can. So he actually thinks that if you... Um, think about the tool-assisted hunting at Fungoli. It perhaps can tell us more about some of the early hominin hunting that uh, went on compared to the emotionally charged hunting of chimpanzees, as he puts it. 
And I'll just end up by saying, um, echoing what Rebecca has said as well about um, female humans, is that just now, and I think Richard mentioned this as well, we're beginning to understand more about female chimpanzee hunting and that they also play uh, a part in this scenario. So thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.